0: Today, I want to continue in our series of sermons we're calling, Follow Me. Follow Me is an appropriate uh, series to have in the midst of uh, new ministry partners and baptisms because these are folks who are standing up and saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. Follow Me, Jesus says. This is Jesus' invitation to all of us. Follow Me, leave behind life as you know it, and live life with Me at the center. So if you forgot my major point last week, it was this, follow me as an invitation to a relationship and to a different way of life. Follow me as an invitation to a relationship and an invitation to a different way of life. Jesus invites all of us to have a living, a vibrant relationship with him and out of that relationship to live a life that is different, but a life that is different in a good sort of way. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he did all kinds of things. For instance, when he was on earth, he walked on water. But that's a little bit above my pay grade. I have tried numerous times with less than stellar results. But Jesus also did a number of things where we can emulate him, where we can walk in his footsteps, where we can do life in the way that Jesus showed us how to live. So today I want to look at the passage that Joe read for us earlier, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. And of course, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take the one in the chair as our gift to you. The passage begins this way. This is verse 13, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, Son of Man is a title. It's a title for... Jesus, good, always a safe guess at church, Jesus. So Jesus is asking at this point in the Bible, who do people say that I am? Apparently there's a buzz about the ministry of Jesus. There's even some controversy around the ministry of Jesus. And so Jesus asked people, his disciples, who do people say that I am? The disciples check all their polling data and they offer this answer. Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. So people are thinking Jesus is one of the prophets. He's a prophet on par with one of the great prophets. But then Jesus turns the question and asks something more pointed to his disciples. Verse 15, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? You see what Jesus did here. He asked the disciples, who do people say that I am, to kind of get them talking and talking. But then he turned the question. It became far more personal, far more pointed. Who do you say that I am? Not who does your grandmother think Jesus is. Who do you think Jesus is? Not not who does your best friend think Jesus is. Who do you think Jesus is? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So one of the disciples, Simon Peter, just sort of blurts out the answer. And he says that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of the living God. Now, Messiah is a title. Throughout the Old Testament... God was promising to send a deliverer. God was promising to send a redeemer, someone who would forgive the sins of his children and bring his children home. And the title ascribed to this person was the title, Messiah. So Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, he gives that title to Jesus. Jesus is the one that God has promised throughout the Old Testament. He is that Redeemer. He is that Deliverer. He is the the hinge point of all history. He is the central figure of God's story, the, the person on whom all of God's plan hinges. That's what he means when he says Jesus is the Messiah. Now Messiah is the Hebrew way of saying the title. If you translate it into the Greek way of saying the title, and the Roman Empire would have preferred that if you'd have done that, you get the word Christ. So, when you say Jesus Christ, in church, of course, when you say Jesus Christ, Christ is a title. It's not Jesus' last name, it's a title, his last name was Smith. You're saying that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one. He is the hinge point of all history. He is the promised deliverer, the promised redeemer, promised throughout the ages. He has come to take God's people and God's children home. So this is what we've seen people do today. We have seen people stand up and say in our own language that that's who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He is central to God's story, but he has actually become central to my story. He's become central to the stories of the parents and the the young uh, people who will stand up in this service and in the next service and, and proclaim these things. So the central point of this passage is Jesus' identity. Who do you say Jesus is? But then there's a second identity statement in the passage, and I want to look at that. I repeat, there is a second identity statement in this passage, and here it is. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now sometimes in a church family, people get put into roles, serving roles, leadership roles, upfront roles. People get put into roles they are not quite yet prepared for. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever been put into leadership or a serving or an upfront role in a church you are not quite yet prepared for? A lot of on-the-job training in the church. Do you know where this tradition started? It started with Jesus. Because Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. To me, the correct response would be like, you're right, that is who I am. Good job, Simon Peter. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says to him, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. After he identified who Jesus was, Jesus just said, great, I'm going to put you in charge. A lot of on-the-job training is going to be required from where Peter is to where he's going to go. Jesus tells Peter that he is the rock. Now, if you take the word rock, the rock, in the Middle Eastern languages, it would be the word cephas, or cephas, C-E-P-H-A-S. This is not on the final. You don't have to worry about this. C-E-P-H-A-S. But if you're reading the New Testament, you may sometimes see someone named Cephas or Cephas. That's Peter. That's how you would say the rock in the Middle Eastern languages. But if you take the word rock and translate it into Greek, and the Roman Empire would prefer if you do that, you get the word Petros, from which we get the name Peter, P-E-T-R-O-S, Petros. So I'm going to put it all together now and see if this makes sense. Simon says, Jesus, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the hinge point of all history. To which Jesus says, and Simon, you are Peter, Petros, the rock on which I'm going to build my church. So Simon says who Jesus truly is, and Jesus responds by saying who Simon truly is. He calls him Peter, and in fact, this stuck. Over time, people quit calling him Simon altogether, and they started calling him Peter. Peter was not his given name. Simon was the the given name of, of the person we now call Saint Peter. His name was Simon. Peter was a title Jesus gave to him, that he was the rock on which Jesus would build his church. So this is a passage about identity. Who do you say that Jesus is? But then the flip side, who does Jesus say that you are? Let me ask those questions to you. Who do people say that you are? But what about Jesus? Who does Jesus say that you are? Simon, who do people say that you are? Well, I'm a fisherman. I'm a little brash. I'm not afraid to take a risk. All right. But what about Jesus? Simon, who does Jesus say that you are? Jesus says, I'm Peter, the rock on which he will build the church. Now, do you think Simon is qualified for this assignment? No, no. In fact, if you go read the very next passage in the, in the this is the very next passage in the Bible, Jesus looks at Peter and says, "Get behind me, Satan!" Because Jesus is talking about how He has to die for, to forgive the sins of the world, and Simon Peter says, "You need to quit talking about all that. That's morbid. That's not going to happen." And Jesus says, "Get behind me, Satan!" Now, I, I'll unpack that verse uh, later in the. I'll unpack that. Passage later in this series. But for this point, let's just pause and say, you don't need an advanced theological degree to know that get behind me, Satan, is not a, a singing endorsement. And you kind of scratch your head, and you're like, isn't that the guy who's he's going to put in charge? Is Peter qualified for what Jesus just said to him? No, he's not. This brings the questions back to you. It brings the questions back to me. Who do people say that you are? But what about Jesus? Who does Jesus say that you are? Because, as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus or if you ever become a follower of Jesus, Jesus invites you to share in his identity. Jesus wants you to have a secure identity. He wants you to know that you are God's beloved child in whom God is well pleased. And as a follower of Jesus, you are a minister. You're a minister. If you have followed Jesus for one minute, or if you've followed Jesus for 50 years, you are a minister. There are no prerequisites. There is no certification video you have to watch and take a quiz about. You are a minister. So, so use your, your words, use your actions to share the love of God. Use your words, use your actions to convey to people the grace and truth of Jesus in your families, in your workplace, to your schoolmates, to your teammates, to your hallmates, to your family, to your friends, to the downtrodden, you are a minister. It's part of your identity. Now, you may say, I'm not qualified to be a minister. I'm not qualified to represent Jesus anywhere, really. That's right, you're not. I'm not. Peter was not. But what this passage shows us about Jesus is Jesus does not, this is an oldest expression the preachers used to use, Jesus does not call the qualified, Jesus qualifies the called. Jesus doesn't take the top 10% of the applicant pool. Jesus takes whoever is going to come. It's a really low bar with Jesus. Sometimes people say, I just don't like, you know, the the church. The church has a lot of problems. The church does have a lot of problems. You know why? Because Jesus will take anybody. That probably means there's room for you and me. He'll take anybody. And in fact, there's a passage in the Bible that says he actually delights in taking the folks nobody else will take. And he loves to put them in charge almost as His way, uh, uh, it's almost like a a divine punchline in a lot of ways. So if you feel like there's no way God could ever want to have anything to do with me, you're in a great spot. That's what Peter thought. That's what so many of us have thought. It's in fact when you start to think, God's really lucky to have me on His team that things start to get squirrely. So he looks at Simon Peter and he says to him, (laughs) you're the person whom i'm going to build the church he gives him an identity and then he makes peter grow into that identity he looks at you or me and says you are my follower you are my minister and then over time he helps us grow into that identity you're not the follower jesus deserves i'm not the follower jesus deserves but i hope to become a little bit better by his grace <laughs> someday my very last thought for us is i sort of wrap this up is that you and i can do what jesus did for peter we can follow jesus in this because what jesus did is he looked at a guy and he called out his gifts his skills his abilities long before they had been realized what jesus did is like the opposite of a funeral speech at a funeral speech, you stand up and say all the things you loved about the person, all the things they were good at, you know, on and on and on. And, and honestly, you, you may come out to be a little more of a saint than they were, right? But that's just sort of the nature of a funeral speech. Jesus says something different. Jesus looks at Simon Peter in the moment where he is mostly just raw material, and he says, you are Peter, you're the rock on which I'm going to build the church. Jesus is calling us to live in a different way, and the different way is this. Jesus invites us to follow him in naming people's strengths and gifts and potential long before they have been fully realized. Jesus invites us to follow him in naming people's strengths and gifts and potential long before they have been fully realized. Jesus has knit amazing gifts and strengths into you, into every person that you come across, into every person in this gym. Let's not wait till people are gone to start talking about it. But in fact, let's not wait till the gifts are fully realized to start talking about it. Jesus is saying start early. Start now. Cultivate now. Start to tell people who they are now. Start to tell people the gifts that you see God has put into them now, long before it's been fully realized. And in a culture of detractors... To live this way will make the light of Christ shine more clearly. Jesus, who looked at an unremarkable, uneducated, somewhat decent fisherman on the outskirts of the Roman Empire and said, you are Peter, Petros, the rock on which I will build the most diverse movement in human history. So I'd like you to reflect on this question as we prepare to close the sermon today. What does it mean that you follow Jesus or that you're invited to follow Jesus who spoke Peter's identity long before he had lived into it? What does it mean that you follow Jesus or that you're invited to follow Jesus who spoke Peter's identity long before he had lived into it? Maybe like Peter, you and I need to be clear on our answer, who do I say that Jesus is? Or maybe you need to be clear on the answer to, who does Jesus say that I am? Maybe you and I need to join Jesus in naming people's potential and gifts and strength knit into them by God long before they've been realized. We have that gift, that opportunity in the ministries we lead, with the children and youth of our church, with our spouses, with our friends, with our roommates, to our professors, to our students. We have the opportunity to speak life and grace and truth into them long before it's come to fruition. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, to talk to God or to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Who do you say that Jesus is? And who does Jesus say that you are? Lord, I do thank you for our church family. Some of us need to get really honest about who we say that you are. Not who our spouse says, not who our grandma said. Who do we, I, me say that Jesus is? Lord, I pray we would get to the place Of saying that you are the hinge point of all history you are the one on whom God's plan uh, all the weight of God's plan sits you are the central figure of all history but you have become the central figure of our lives as well and Lord as you come into the center of our lives I pray that you would give us a secure identity in you And that you would give us the courage and the strength to speak words of life into people who are still mostly raw material. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship God with our voices and our offering and our prayer requests. So I'm going to dismiss the service, but if you would like to join us right outside those doors for Allie's baptism, we would love to, uh, to have you. As we've done today, continue to look up, continue to look around so that you might find life by loving God, loving other people, and in all things, keeping Christ in the center. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week.